missed his chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Pirlo, 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 ancora Pirlo di Tecco, tiro, Welcome back, footy fans, to episode 26 of the Footy Fans Podcast. Andrew and Santo, sans Joe for this yeah, one. Yeah, no Joe. Uh, scheduling conflicts kind of came up uh, came up on the weekend, and we're recording this on Tuesday at 11.30 in the morning, and mm-hmm. Joe has a real job, so um, <laughs> me and Santo are here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm in that really fortunate situation where I got like pretty good flexibility with everything I do. Um, nice. you know, I can take, take a little break. Joe's just got like meetings on meetings on meetings all the time. So my, my work is not meeting heavy. It's just my own personal scheduling. Which is so. a nice problem to have though. It's yeah. I mean, it's a nice situation to be in. Yeah. I mean, you know, just can hop off and do this and then like work a little bit later. Uh, don't have too many like meeting scheduling conflicts, which is nice, but it is a challenge in terms of just scheduling your own time and you know, being disciplined to do the work and also setting boundaries. Cause I don't want to be the guy that's like working at nine 30 on a Friday. Yeah. So it's just, just all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I had to do this because of our really exciting game on Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, just, uh, obviously we talked about it before, but give all the footy fans a little update where, uh, soccer started for me and Joe. Well, didn't really start. We just filled in for some people, but plan is to play more on Sunday. Uh, you know, we trained a little bit in the summer, had one game in the summer that we played in, but haven't really been playing competitive since COVID started. Uh, went back first indoor game, first competitive indoor game since before COVID. And I remember we talked about how it, it probably was going to go bad and it went worse than Ooh. we expected. Uh, like I told you, just, uh, had probably like 12 or less touches all game. 10 of those ended up in being turnovers, you know? And for you, that's not a lot of touches. Cause like you being as a center midfielder who just demands the ball all the time. Yeah. Like you gotta be getting more than that, especially on indoor. Well, yeah, I was demanding the ball and just, you know, go under my foot. Uh, <sighs> not bad. Eh? Wouldn't get a touch or I'd get it. I'd take a touch forward, start running and then just like fall over the ball. Um, yeah. And then, uh, felt like I was going to throw up after the first half with like 15 minutes left. I started feeling good. I got that second win and I was like, all right, like I could stay on and, you know, actually feel like I could do something. I felt warmed up and the game was about to end. Uh, but my chest was killing me. And then I got home, started coughing next day. Like I told you, my chest was just like, I don't even know, coughing all day. And then I like, just go to blow my nose and blood's on there. Oh my God. What the heck? I just got demolished from one game back from soccer here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like yep. I said, if you if you did that poorly in your first showing and like I'm expected to try and play maybe this summer, ooh. 
I don't know, because you and I are, are like this when it comes to like fatigue and like being in, in decent shape. So if you're suffering that badly, might as well have like the paramedics on call wherever <laughs> the first game of the season's at, just in case. Yeah. Boy. I mean, well, that's the thing. Getting in shape is like the easiest thing you can do in respect to soccer. I mean, a touch game knowledge that you either have that at this stage or you don't getting in shape you know you just need two weeks or two months or whatever you need yeah and like the fundamentals are always there they always come back to you like once you start playing and like you you know yeah i guess i get some touches on the ball it comes back oh okay i know how to control the ball with my chest like i've learned this 15 years ago 20 years ago Mm -hmm. so it all comes back but it just takes like those first couple you know sessions right yeah and then just running just running 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 yeah, just accept um, the fact you're going to be bad for a little bit. Yeah, well, if you can come to terms with that, then you're already one step ahead. Yeah, I have not come to terms with it. <laughs> I, I'm so far from there. <laughs> yeah, I'm so far. Um, one guy, though, that was totally in form this past weekend. Yeah. What can we, what can we say? CR7, Ronaldo, basically putting a team on his back, scoring three goals against Tottenham. Uh, you know, the crucial one coming in the 81st minute to, to clinch the game against Tottenham 3 2 victors for United. Like, it's funny, you we were just talking about it off air or off, off recording, saying how whenever we talk shit about somebody or whenever we praise somebody and you know put them up on a pedestal, the next game they come back and do the exact opposite of what we said. Mm-hmm. So, last podcast, I'm saying how Ronaldo's kind of losing it, Renick's not picking him anymore. Maybe it's a fitness thing. Maybe he's injured. Maybe he's not in form and training. And then he comes back this game and just, you know, kicks his size 11 foot right in my ass and says, shut up. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. No, it's just, it's one of those performances I think he really needed and just goes to show everyone in the football world, like, I'm Cristiano Ronaldo and this is what I can do, right? Like, nothing better. Getting a hat trick in a, in a win like that, you know, they're they're still sitting in fifth. I'm not sure still if... They got, uh, they're going to have Champions League this year. I think Arsenal is just doing way too well and with all the games in hand. But still, I mean, these are the results you got to pick up and just a massive win against a top club. Like, it's, it's just who Ronaldo is, right? And like you said, we just chirp someone, whether it's him or Harry Kane or Arsenal, like at the start of the season, and they just go and do the opposite and just tell these kids from Canada and put us firmly in their place. Yeah. What are you guys talking about? You guys think. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this could be one of those momentum games too for United, and it could oh, yeah. start getting the ball rolling for them. I mean, like with Ranick back at the you know in, in the helm for United, they were showing like a lot of positive results at the beginning of his tenure there when he first showed up, and then like slowly they started to kind of slip away, right? And like they had that big loss um, against Man City. You have draws against Southampton and Burnley and. You know, you come away from that FA Cup match against Middlesbrough, losing the way that they did in the penalty shootout. And like we said before, it kind of, it's almost like the Arsenal um, aspect too. Like last podcast, we talked about Arsenal performing well and obviously being a lot better than what they were showing at the beginning of the season, but not having like that big like statement win. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Tottenham is, the name Tottenham is still pretty big. It, It still like holds a lot of power in like just the EPL. But this season in particular, they've obviously been really inconsistent as well, been up and down. But mm. it's still a top game. You're still playing against world-class yeah. players. You still have a world-class coach in Antonio Conte on the other side of the pitch where you have to game plan against. And 
again, I don't think the team performed that well. They kind of rode the coattails of Ronaldo on this one. Yeah. But this could be like a big statement win for them. I mean, it's not beating Liverpool. It's not beating Chelsea. It's not beating Man City. But to get a victory against Tottenham, um, like at the time that they did, again, coming off some poor draws against sides that they should be, uh, should be winning against and just beating up on teams like Leeds, who you're supposed to beat, a win like this against Tottenham could really get the ball rolling for them. And like you said, their push for Europe has to kind of start and end at the end of the season. Like start now, end of the season, they got to be rolling this whole way because they yeah. are one point behind Arsenal, but Arsenal has those three games in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's it. Right. I mean, I do agree. This is pretty much as big as a game um, outside from any, you know, super high profile game, you know, kind of like Arsenal and Liverpool, like we talked about next podcast where, you know, that's going to be Arsenal's massive game. Uh, This is still huge for United, huge for Ronaldo's confidence and huge for the team. Uh, I could start some momentum for them, um, but they are going to have to just, really crush it this last half of the season if they want to want to contend for for that fourth spot because i really don't see arsenal slowing down at this point they just got way too much momentum they have way too much belief and that's the thing if you're in a really bad spot and as a team you just build out from there and then now you're sitting fourth and fairly comfortably it just does wonders for your team and you can just keep rolling and even if you pick up a loss or a draw that should have been a win you always have in the back of your mind thinking how, Hey, we were at the bottom of the table and now we're at this, this spot. Like we can, we can do this again and we can get over this, this hump. Right. So it's just about if you can handle that adversity as a team and get over those humps, it just makes any other roadblock you hit that much easier to get past. Yeah. It gives you a little bit like a little bit of a cushion mm-hmm. um, and just obviously the confidence too going forward. And in the United's case, they have an upcoming match today, actually at 4 PM against Atletico Madrid in their second leg of Champions League. So again, yeah. to come off the win like this on the weekend on Saturday and have a game this big today, only three days later, this could be like a big momentum kick for, for United. And yeah. then to round out the rest of the season, they have a rescheduled game against Liverpool they have to play. They have a game against Arsenal on April 23rd, which would be huge. And then they still have to play against Chelsea um, in the second last game of the season mix in some games against Norwich and Brentford that we expect them to get results against, but still three um, pretty big games that they have to play in the range of this season. Mm-hmm. And then Arsenal standpoint, they have their match um, today against, or sorry, tomorrow against Liverpool. Yep. Tomorrow against Liverpool. We touched on that last episode as well. If you guys want to talk or listen to us talk about um, Arsenal and what to expect from them for the remainder of the season, tune to our last episode, episode 25. But um, just to touch on it again, we were saying how Arsenal hasn't had a big impactful victory this season against a side that they should beat or that they should not beat, sorry. And tomorrow is the game against Liverpool. If they can show a positive result, even getting a draw against them mm-hmm. would be a good result for them. Um, it's at uh, Emirates Stadium, so it's at home for them, which is nice. But if they can get a positive result against Liverpool, I mean, their remaining schedule is pretty easy. Um, they do have the United game I, I just mentioned. But other than that, their next tough opponent is West Ham. And then everyone else yeah. is in the bottom half of the table. Yeah. So Arsenal could go on a run here after this Liverpool match and really solidify their spot. And I said before, too, they could even end up catching Chelsea. Um, they're only eight points behind, but Chelsea's got a bit of a tougher schedule. And yeah. Arsenal could maybe, you know, maybe push Chelsea a little bit, make them a little scared um, for that spot. But... <laughs> 
I don't think United will gain enough points to, you know, surpass either Chelsea or Arsenal into the top four. No matter how good their form is, they're just that far off. I think Arsenal's run of form coming up and then the remainder eight games of the season for them or 12 games, actually, they have 12 games left. Um, those remaining games, I think they have way more opportunities to score points than Man U does or you know, yeah. West Ham was also right there. Yeah, for sure. I think their run's... Uh, definitely going to be a lot easier. And it just makes it super exciting. I mean, you have all, you have the top five right now, still have games they all have to play against each other. Um, even the Man City Liverpool game that still has to happen. I mean, all the, all the games between uh, everyone is just, it's going to have huge title implications, huge uh, Champions League implications uh, where everyone's going to sit. And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, all these games are going to be massive and uh, all the hype is going to be really exciting. And speaking of Man City, uh, they came off a, a nil-nil draw yesterday against Crystal Palace. This game is being played at Selhurst Park, which is obviously a, always tough, a tough spot to play against. Yeah. And we said before, you know, the West Ham, oh, sorry, the West Ham's, the, um, the Southamptons, the Crystal Palaces. Um, who else is kind of like a, like a gritty team there? Yeah, Aston Villa too. Yeah. It's tough to play against these sides, and they always rise to the big occasion. They rise to the big game. Yeah. And again, I didn't watch this game, um, unfortunately, yesterday, but I'm just looking at the stats from it. It's a very typical how you think this game would play out, but yeah. just no goals. Yeah. Joe, Joe talked about it. And Joe always say this about Man City Crystal Palace, that it's not even close to a write-off. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Crystal Palace will always give Man City a hard time. They have been for a, so long, like the last couple seasons. And during the game, you just saw it right from early on. It looked like how at least we would expect Man City to play against Crystal Palace. Just Man City getting frustrated. They're spending a lot of time in the final third, not getting a lot of clear-cut chances. Um, there was one shot by Cancelo. I mean, you got to see that replay. He's probably 35 yards out, just rips one, no spin on the ball, just goes, hits the post as flat as he can hit it. Came back oh, yeah. super fast to Laporte. Laporte couldn't really do anything. He just hit it over the net because it came back so fast. But just a strike like that from Concello was was unreal. But um, yeah, I mean, Bernardo Silva had a really good chance. Came off the goalie and he could have buried one. Didn't bury it at all. He tried to take a touch. But it was just a frustrating afternoon for, for City. And it just always seems to happen against Crystal Palace. They just can't find the form. They can't create a lot of really good quality chances um consistently enough to get a goal and they just drop points to get it now we have a situation where liverpool if they win their game in hand uh granted you know they have tough games left but city does as well but if liverpool wins that game in hand we have a one point gap at the top of the table and now city's not that runaway leader anymore and it could swing either way yeah and it just bodes to what we're what we're saying how we were talking about Man City a month ago, two months ago, saying that this isn't, and this is over. The title race is done. We basically stopped focusing on Man City for the rest of the season because we were saying how they're just going to win. They're just going to do what they do. And they were like at 13 points ahead at this point or something. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, okay, like Man City, they're there. Let's focus on the battle for Europe. Let's focus on the relegation battle. And now, again, <laughs> the curse of us, whatever it is, Man City's dropping points. Liverpool is just retain, retaining their run of form that they've had, mm-hmm. being consistent as heck. 
And yeah, they're possibly one point behind if they beat um, Arsenal tomorrow. Just being on like the Arsenal bandwagon and saying how like how well they're doing, I still think this is Liverpool's game to win, and mm-hmm. they're they're clearly going to be the favorites, even though the game's at Emirates Stadium. I think they'll still be you know the betting odds would be on Liverpool. I gotta see what the, the remaining schedule is for them because um, they also have Champions League coming up. Um, they they've already advanced to the quarterfinal um, officially, so they'll have to schedule. Um, their quarterfinal opponent and match um, soon, mm-hmm. but so yeah, they have the one game against United, which was postponed, which will get rescheduled at a later date. They had the April tenth match against Man City, which could really swing the table and like can decide the winner pretty much. Uh, they have the derby against Everton, which I mean, speaking of Everton being as poor as they are, the derby match is always intense. It could always go either way. It has slated to Liverpool side of recent decades. It seems mm-hmm. like. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still a game that Everton shows up for, so that's always tough to play. Um, they have a Tottenham match, and where we mentioned Southampton being a tough spot to play, they have a game away Southampton on May fifteenth, um, towards yeah. the end of the season. So I mean, their schedule is a little easier. They have a Watford. They have um, uh, who do they got here? They have Watford. They got Aston Villa, which I mean, they're tough to play against too. I think their schedule is a little bit harder than Man City's towards the yeah. end of the season there. Yeah, but still, sure. it's, it's just tough to come them out because they've been so consistent. Whenever yeah. we've seen like, Liverpool drop a match, either with a draw or you know, with only a loss, they've only had um, you know, two losses this season with uh, six draws. But those draws are very like staggered in the season. It's not yeah. like they have you know, back-to-back draws it'll be four wins and a draw and then like a six win run and then a draw. Yeah. Um, it's not very like condensed. So like, I think their run of forms are, they're not as streaky as what I'm trying to say as mm-hmm. a side like Man City could be or like what Chelsea was at the beginning of the season as well. They're very consistent. So with Man City being in the form that they're in, this kind of like is the little like engine that could for Liverpool. Like we have to just keep going. We have to just keep chugging along, keep getting our results, mm-hmm. keep getting our wins. And that's kind of the way you have to play as, you know, a second um, ranked team, like trying to play catch up a little bit. You can only do what's in your hands. You can only control your own destiny. You can't control what other sides do, obviously. So when that opportunity comes up with Man City dropping points like they have, you know, Klopp just has to keep the boys like heads in check and just say, just keep going. Just, just move on to the next week. Just go to the next week, go to the next week. And that's all they've been doing for, you know, weeks and weeks on end. You look back at their schedule here, uh, uh, win against Brighton, win against West Ham, uh, win against Leeds, Norwich, Burnley, Leicester, Crystal Palace. Like I'm going on and on right now. Like I'm in, I'm back in January 2nd. Their last draw was against Chelsea January 2nd. Yeah. And every other Premier League match <clears throat> since then, they've all been a vict- uh, victory. Yeah. So yeah, it is. it's just, they're just the, the essence of consistency. And, I mean, from their standpoint, like I said, that's all they can really do. That's all they can really count on. And they're just waiting for Man City to falter like a little bit each, like every couple of weeks. And then they're right back in the race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with, with City's closeout to the season, I mean, like you said, it, it looks a lot easier than Liverpool, but um, even the game they have against West Ham, like if, if they're going to continue this this run of form they have, it's it's hard to even count that one out. I think all the other ones, you know, Wolves, Lead, 
Leeds, Watford, Newcastle. Um, Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, we'll <laughs> see. I mean, Newcastle has been playing well, but I, I would still put City on that one. Of course, yeah. You would think as, uh, as no disrespect to Newcastle, but um, I would put City as a winner for that one probably yeah. every day of the week. Um, <laughs> and then they got, you know, Villa, you know, they've been playing well, but, you know, the game against West Ham, the game against Liverpool, those are going to be the two games that I think are going to swing the title. Uh, every other game, like I said, City's probably just going to take, but that game against Liverpool, I mean, anyone who doesn't watch the EPL a lot, that's going to be the game to watch. This yep. is probably going to be the, the game that's going to decide it. And uh, I can't I can't wait to see the hype that's going to happen for this game. Probably going to have an hour and a half pre pre uh, pre show to this one. Yeah, I'd be like a Super Bowl. Like it would be like an yeah, like a fifteen hour like pre pre match preview. Yeah. Um it's kind of unfortunate it's not at the end of the season, like in the last month, let's say either. Mm-hmm. Like imagine this was like scheduled to be the last game of the year. That's what I mean. Like that's the one thing I haven't seen yet. Just last game of the season is between the two one and two teams. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be the decider. That's one of the things I haven't seen that happen yet. The closest thing was a whole Aguero QPR and Man U Southampton situation where they were both playing on the final day and how the results happened was gonna decide it, but they were playing separate right. teams. That was still, you know, one of the most exciting moments in EPL history. Uh, with Aguero scoring in the 147th minute. <laughs> God damn. So late. No. 90, he's going to the 96th like minute. Yeah, and they added six minutes to that game or something. Yeah, Aguero scored with literally no time left. Uh, they last got two goals they, in the last in the yeah. last in stoppage time, right? So that was that was exciting. But I think Aguero's touch was the last kick of the game. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, that, I mean, I don't think everyone started after that. Everyone ran on the field anyway, so they just yeah. decided they just decided the game was over. Oh yeah, I guess we're done. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the whole team's there. Like half the stadium empties out on the field. Yeah. I guess we'll call it. <laughs> well, this this will be really good. I mean, it's at Manchester Stadium, uh, so I I just can't wait to see how the fans are going to react to every time Liverpool is on the ball because uh, this will feel like a, a championship game. I think yeah. to everyone who's there, right. Yeah, well, for sure. And I mean, we, I mean, it's kind of cool because even though like this game is played, is played April 10th, like I said, we could still see like an all England final for Champions League yeah. with the runs that, you know, City and Liverpool and Chelsea have all put through. Chelsea has a game today um, against uh, Lille in their second leg of the match or second leg of the, um, the round of 16. And second today? Tomorrow, sorry, tomorrow. Um, with Chelsea up two nothing there, so they could book their ticket to the quarterfinal as well. And I don't know how it works in Champions League if there's like a reshuffle or a redraw. Yeah, yeah as a redraw, I kind of forget for the next round. So yeah, they'll have to like pick the pots again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it could end up being that. I mean, could you imagine that if all three English sides go through, but they don't get matched up against each other in yeah. the quarterfinal somehow? Like I think the odds are kind of like, like at least one or two, like at least one game might be an all England battle. Yeah. So the odds, but could you imagine that? And then all three wins, then you have three teams in the semifinal. Yeah. It'd all just from be England. Massive year for England. <laughs> you have, you have all three teams from England have Bayern Munich. Yeah. And then Bayern Munich ends up winning. <laughs> Watch. Ooh, that wouldn't surprise you, man. That team's good. That's the one. Alfonso Davies coming back soon too. Yeah. 
That's a, that's the one thing I want to see. Just a city Bayern fight on the Champions League. That's the one matchup in a massive game that I want to see played because we've been touting City for how many years? How good they yeah. are? Bayern's like their their twin brother from Germany. It would just be great to see them. You know, when they're on, they're both on, and yeah. it'd be great to see a matchup between them in a in a huge game. How frustrating must it be for Pep, like to have the results in Europe like he has? like with Bayern Munich and with Barcelona, and then he comes to Man City, and that's like the one elusive thing, right? Because it's not like they didn't win the title before Pep got there. Mm-hmm. Like they had the wins with Pellegrini. They had the wins with Mancini too. But it's like Pep is there for Champions League. Yeah. Because I don't think they necessarily needed him to come in to win England anymore, to win the Premier yeah. League. He was brought in specifically to win Champions League because that's the most coveted trophy you can basically win in Europe. Mm-hmm. And like they've been so close, obviously the Chelsea final, losing out in semifinals in like dramatic fashion, and then just not being able to like just like being so close to like just to grab yeah. it and then just gone. It's just not there. Like, and it's get away a whole nother year, a whole nother year, a whole nother year. Yeah. And like they've been on like what a five or six year run now with Pep. Yeah. I think it's, I don't even know. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, Probably just going to see you real quick when he joined Man City. He's been at Manchester City since 2016, so this is like sixth season. Yeah, with um, with Man City, and all six years he's been in Champions League. All six years he's qualified out of the groups, and all six years it just it just failed them. Right? Something, something always happens. <laughs> but like, is that? For them, it's like you can only suffer defeat so many times and use motivation as motivation. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like oh, we, we lost, so we have to come back fight next year. Oh, we lost. Okay, we're going to learn from this and come back next year. When it's happened like six times in a row, like you start to want to win more out of frustration than you do out of like motivation. Mm-hmm. Do you think that hurts them though? Or do you think that might help them? Um... Because there's been a lot, so there's been a lot of turnover in, in the in the in the team. Yeah, but players like Kyle Walker, players like De Bruyne, um, who else has been there? Sterling. These guys have been there since the beginning, and mm. they still haven't tasted that Champions League, um, you know, yeah. silverware. Yeah, I think for them, it's it's the hardest when you've been there for so long. I mean, you could see it on Aguero's face at the end of the Man City Chelsea game. He was just breaking down, crying at the end of the game. That was that was his last chance of him ever winning a, yeah, a Champions League. I mean, he did go to Barcelona the season after, uh, but I think we all had the sense that if he was going to win one, it was going to be that game. And it's just crazy to think how a player like that didn't win Champions League, and that's the case for all these players. Where when you look back on your career, you want to be one of the players that said, "Yeah, I, I won Champions League." It, the most I was the trophy. best in Europe. I was yeah. yes, the best in England, which is, you know, all hats off to you, but I was the best in Europe that year out of every country, every club. It was us. Yeah. And they're still chasing it. Yeah. You want, you want to be on that team. And like you said, with De Bruyne and, and Sterling and Kyle Walker, you've been there for so long and it just constantly eludes you. And it has to be frustrating. I mean, none of these guys have won Champions League before. And especially Kevin De Bruyne, like Kevin De Bruyne of all people, best midfielder, who's ever played in a really long time, probably the best that's ever lived for his position. Hasn't won Champions League. Best ever lived for a position? 
Kevin De Bruyne, you think? More than like Zidane and like I don't know. Well, he's in the conversation for sure. Kaká. Um, I wouldn't. Ne- I would. You know, Kevin mm. De Bruyne. I see as he's uh, sick. I love him, but I don't know. Best of all time. Maestro and his thing. I mean, maybe not best of all time. Lampard, Gerard. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just shouting. I'm just spitballing here. I'm just putting some names out in, into the world. I don't know. Yeah. He's um, good, man. He's a generational talent. Let's just say that. For our generation of, yes. of viewership, because I've named off guys that are older. I mean, Zidane was my parents, like my dad's generation. Kaka yeah. was kind of like, a little bit older than us, maybe. Like we're we're thirty years old. Like we know who Kaká is, mm-hmm. and then Lampard and Jared, those guys. Again, they were like in their prime in like two thousand and six, two thousand and eight. Yeah, but De Bruyne obviously establishing himself, you know, ten years ago, whenever it was in the in England, maybe mm-hmm. eight years ago. He's been more of like yeah, like this present day maestro. I yeah. wouldn't go all time. That's the Man City boy in you, I think, coming out a little bit. He, well, Man City he, fandom. He's in the conversation for all those guys. I mean, we'll see how the rest of his career goes. Yeah. I see him as the Lampard uh, of City that Lampard was for Chelsea when, when he was playing. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're both like guilty and not knowing the history of Man City and players who may have played in the 60s and 70s that were amazing. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure you don't know either. Mm-hmm. But yes... Like just from our own knowledge, he's probably like one of the best Man City players to ever play. Yeah. Now I put Aguero up there too, like just from what he's done or what he did for Man City, being one of the all-time goal scorers for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously that just that carries so much clout with you. Mm-hmm. But with De Bruyne, yeah, he's probably a he's a generational talent for sure. He's probably the best you know center midfielder City's ever had. But just like in the world scale of like all time, I don't know if I would put him like as the best. But he could definitely get slotted into like the top ten. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, all, I wouldn't argue that it's all 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 relative, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just to go to say, like, that's a player that's never going to win Champions League if City don't win in the right. near future. So it's it's gotta it's gotta eat at you because that's that's all you want. He's won the the title how many times? Like, he doesn't need any more EPL titles. No, I mean, the City's won the title how many now? Like six plenty plenty to party plenty to party <laughs> how many have they won actually i don't even know how many they've won um in the modern era uh well premier league titles yeah five five premier five. league titles five you're right yeah 11 13 17 18 20 those are the years 2011 mm-hmm. 13 um so peps won three of them three of those five De Bruyne has been there for three of those five. But then since, again, Pep's uh, tenure, that elusive man or that elusive Champions League trophy is not there. And you start to question yourself too, thinking, am I, players like Sterling, players like De Bruyne, like Kyle Walker, am I content in being just a Premier League champion? Like for your domestic league? Yeah. Am I, like obviously international results are kind of its own thing. Like you could have Belgium make a final England, obviously making a final in the Euro King cup last summer. That's huge for them and their credentials and like what they can look back on, but they didn't win. Mm-hmm. So for your domestic, you know, league, 
or your domestic team, like we said, the most coveted thing you can basically win is Champions League. And we had a visitor. <laughs> that's Daddy's coffee. That's <laughs> all done. Yeah. What are you eating? A sausage. A sausage. <laughs> nice. Hi, Lena. Want to come say hi again? Yeah. Come here. Say hello. Hi. Say hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. You enjoying March break? Having a good March break so far? Mommy's home, isn't she? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Run along. <laughs> I was on the heater with what I was trying to say. <laughs> Is this all those players want in their careers? Like, do they want more? Um, again, like, yeah, those three players I named off, Sterling, De Bruyne, Walker, are they content in just becoming Premier League champions or do they possess the, the desire to want to be more, to win a Champions League enough that they might actually end up leaving Man City towards the end of their career? Like we've seen other players yeah. do before. Like in Aguero's yeah. case with him leaving City to go to Barcelona, it was a contractual thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was still leaving. Again, he was like the all-time scorer for their, for their club, I believe. But he still wanted to chase that trophy. He still wanted to, you know, maybe go back and also play with Messi and mm-hmm. all that kind of jazz. There was more behind it. But those three guys I mentioned, could we see them leave to go to Real Madrid? Could we see De Bruyne go to Bayern Munich? Like just yeah. because they want to win Champions League that bad. And if they've been 0 for 6, maybe 0 for 7 with Man City, maybe they have to change it up. Well, that's that's what I've been thinking about. Where if you are them and you want to win Champions League where else do you think about going besides Bayern? Who, who else are you? If you, if before season starts, you look at every possible team, say you could choose any team you want to go to. Who are you going to go? You're on, you're on Manchester city. What team are you going to go to besides Bayern or staying at city where you honestly feel you have the best chance of winning champions? League? The first come to mind is Liverpool, but they're not going to, they're not going to switch and stay in England. That's the thing too. Maybe Sterling might because that's kind of the English way. They don't really yeah. venture out, you know, past England many times. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the English players. Yeah. So I me mean, Sterling returning to Liverpool would be crazy. Um, <laughs> Craziness. But I think like in De Bruyne's case, yeah, it's almost like Bayern or bust. Yeah. Uh, they see him with another team that comes to mind is PSG because I think with you know with Messi going to PSG that obviously makes your team better like 100 percent clearly. Yep. But they still lack like that center mid spot for yeah. creativity because you have Mbappe up top, obviously, and then Neymar and, and Messi kind of spread, and they you know they both just roam around and kind of move wherever they want freely. Mm-hmm. But De Bruyne is such a center, like a centerpiece, like such a key aspect of like the middle of the pitch to control the entire game. Mm-hmm. Where I think he will make that team way better. Yeah, and you know you pair him alongside a player like Verratti who can kind of be more defensive gets De Bruyne more freedom to kind of do what he wants. I think that can like really like solidify their team. Yeah. But I still think the clear runaway is Bayern Munich. Yeah. Which I mean, just they don't need him, (laughs) but if he wants to win, that's his spot to go. It's not like he has to, if he was to go to man, if he goes to PSG, it'll boost their chances of winning like a little bit, I think, because I think Mm -hmm. PSG is still a broken team, but if he goes to Bayern, then it's like, like you can put Bayern in like the World Cup competition and maybe they would win that, you know, like they would yeah. be that good. Um with the talent with the talent that they have there. So yeah. I don't know. 
I, I, I think it's an interesting discussion. Um, I like to have Joe's input too. Maybe we can yeah. talk about it on Sunday next week. But I just think that if they fail this season again with Champions League, you start to bring up, you know, the questioning like, is this enough? Mm-hmm. And is it the case of just bringing in other players to make your team better and just kind of re-roll it again next year and try it again? Or is it coming to the point where it's like, okay, I have to make a personal choice here and say, do I think this team is going to be better again next year or should I leave for my own personal gain? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would agree, like, if anything, Bayern is the only other team. I I do think that the the gaps in PSG are are too big right now. I wouldn't at the start of a season, I wouldn't put them as a as a who has a how's Lena doing over there? She's causing a ruckus. She's being very distractive right now. <laughs> Bye, Lena. <laughs> Bye. Jeez, sorry. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, at the start of the season, I can only see a player looking at Bayern and being and saying, "Yeah, we, I could win Champions League at that team." Real Madrid, I don't think so nowadays. You know, maybe they're getting stronger, but I, I think. Real Madrid has kind of passed their Galactico stage of being that team that's just going to win Champions League seven years in a row. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna start raising the questions. I mean, Pep Pep obviously just wants to win Champions League more than anything else. He'll, I think we said this before. He'll probably see his stint at Man City a failure if he doesn't win. Yeah. So he's feeling the pressure of making it work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because like I said, I think like Man City was successful domestically before he got there. So you could have kind of put in any coach or manager in that role. Maybe not any. Like you have to have some credentials, but you could put anyone there who knows how to win a little bit in that spot and you can win your league just mm-hmm. with the talent that they had or that they have now too. He was brought there for Champions League. Yeah. He was brought there to make Man City on the map as one of the best in Europe. And like I think it was, I think it was thought of like a, almost like a dynasty thing too. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna bring Pep in, we're gonna run the table with the EPL title, and we're gonna win, you know, three out of four, three out of five Champions Leagues that he's here. And it's still it's still missing for them. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm rooting for him, honestly, just because I would hate if I because I personally think he's you know one of the one of the best managers ever. Just mm-hmm. with the style of play, he he went to England and changed how every single English team plays just from what he started implementing at City. Yeah. Um, and you know the the inverted outside back situation, uh, never seen it before. I've always hated four three three. Pep's really changed my mind on the entire formation. Uh, so it would it would be really sad not to see him win at at City. So I'm rooting for him because I, I think he deserves it. I think all the players deserve it. Yeah, so we'll see. I think I think the player is more than him because he's had his run, like he's had his victories with with uh, Bayern and Barcelona before, and he's tasted Champions League success. The fact that he's still, you know, trying to get there shows his dedication and his determination and kind of what motivates him. But for the players, yeah, I kind of feel for them a little bit because again, they are world class talents all around, and again, winning your domestic trophy is huge. But the the Premier League or the Champions League title is like the World Cup of domestic competition. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's, you're always trying to get to that level. 
And again, for them to be that close to taste it and not achieve it, it is kind of disheartening for them. But again, they have to look at their, you know, their defeats and their misfortunes as motivation somehow. They got to grab something from it, keep going next year. Like I said, like six times is a lot of times to to see failure and try to use that for motivation. Yeah, it definitely eats away at you. Um, Last thing we'll touch on here is just my Chelsea Blues. A whole mess is going on there at uh, Stamford Bridge. Um, The most recent, uh, you know, sanction put on Chelsea by the British government, now it seems like, is that Abramovich is having a hard time actually selling the team. And the British government has taken control of, you know, the Chelsea assets. They froze Abramovich's assets. Chelsea has had sanctions put on them that they cannot, you know, purchase players. They cannot sell tickets to upcoming events. Um, and the most recent thing coming out actually just earlier today was that Chelsea has a FA Cup match against Middlesbrough coming up on Saturday of this week. And from the Chelsea standpoint, they are trying to push that it should be a, basically a match behind closed doors because the game will be played at Middlesbrough. It's already a sellout for them. But then what's kind of cool with um, English football is that you're in charge of selling your own like away tickets. So they section off because uh, part of the, of the stadium that are for the away fans, but it's the away's team job to sell those tickets to the fans. And with the government coming over and freezing the assets of Chelsea, they're not able to sell those tickets. Mm-hmm. So from Chelsea's board standpoint, they're saying, well, this isn't really fair for us. We can't have our own fans there. We want to have no fans there. Yeah. And that's their most recent push. I think that's kind of ridiculous to request that. Like, how can you, like, you can't control what's happening. Like for the opposing team, like that's like, this is done because of your, your mis not mismanagement, but because of Chelsea ownership and Abramovich, this is all stemming down from him. So it's no Mm -hmm. one's really fault, but Chelsea to look at. Yeah. So for them to come out and say, Oh, we want to have this game behind closed doors. Oh, this next match against Liverpool we want to have no fans there, like hypothetically, if they want to go that far. I think that's kind of ridiculous to propose that. But like, again, I, I can see why they want to do it because they are thinking that they're getting mistreated unfairly. And I mean, as a yeah. Chelsea supporter, I still don't agree with that. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably one of the most difficult situations. I mean, because really not having your fans there is punishing the players. Um you know, I, I don't think the revenue from tickets is going to make a massive deal to Abramovich and no. the team, right? For, for especially, sorry, of time. And especially in a way match too. You're only selling, you know, 2,000 tickets, let's say. Yeah. Maybe 5,000 at most. I don't know what the away stadium capacity is at Middlesbrough, but yeah. you're not making like millions and millions of pounds off, off these ticket sales. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the murkiest water with this situation because even, yeah. even massive Russian companies that operate all around the world, employing tons of people in other countries that are relying on them for their livelihood, all of a sudden this whole situation happens and each country is saying you know, no to every single Russian company. You have everyday people that are relying on those companies for their livelihood. Yep. Most of them don't agree with what's going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine and they're losing their job. Even if it's this mash and Russian company that also doesn't agree with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, they're all of a sudden not allowed to operate. You have all the people that they hire that are all of a sudden losing their jobs or, you know, getting their livelihoods affected. 
Yep. And it's just, it's hurting them. It, it does hurt the Russia, uh, the Russian country as a whole. Uh, but how much it's affecting Putin. I mean, I do know all the sanctions are putting a really big toll on them, which in, in retrospect is probably a good thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it just hurts them. So, I mean, you don't, you don't want to be in a situation where you all of a sudden have to pick and choose which Russian, you know, clubs or businesses you're going to support. You also, you also don't want to be in a situation where everyday people are getting neg- neg- negatively affected and you question how much it's actually affecting uh, Russia and the situation in the war. So, I don't know. I, w- I would probably try and find a situation where you can still have fans there and the team can still operate where it's not affecting the players and not affecting the fans. Because the fans want to go to the game. Can you imagine, yeah. you know, you're a Chelsea fan, all of a sudden you can't go support your team all because That's your really, owner's yeah. Russian. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I would probably find a try and find a way. I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be really tough to find a way where you're not affecting the players, you're not affecting the fans. It's only the club and whatever you think is appropriate for Roman Abramovich and what he can do with the club on a global scale. I mean, 2,000 tickets to an away game. Like, like why? I mean, yeah. the, you, I think anyone could look at that and say, you know, these 2,000 fans, the owner's Russian, these 2,000 fans aren't going to the game because they support Chelsea and therefore support Russia because it's owned by a Russian team. They're going because they, they love Chelsea, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and I think Abramovich, that distinction's got to be made for a lot of different things. Yeah. And Abramovich has obviously done a ton for the club. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, all the Chelsea's success in the Premier League has been in the Abramovich era. So you have to give him a little bit of credit in that sense. Like, you have to have some, not loyalty to him, but you have to have some appreciation for what he's been able to do. Mm-hmm. When it comes to any Russian business, Russian company, you mentioned the word murky waters, like that term. That's a really good way to, to look at it in this situation because I didn't know for the longest time what the hell he did or how he got his money. Yeah. And it's not very clear cut. I mean, it's not like here in North America where we can kind of see the financial aspect of things. Like you can kind of, you can go online and like find the books to look at for like accounting purposes and like finances for like teams and everything. Mm-hmm. In Russia, it's like, sealed behind a case behind like a five foot like thick wall you know what i mean like it's gone you can't get to those files you can't find those numbers yeah so is chelsea's money legitimate is bromish's money legitimate i think it obviously is and he's obviously spent it you know a lot on chelsea but you have to look at the bigger picture the bigger scale of what's going on in the world globally and yeah your support for Chelsea is one thing, but it's for the club. Again, it's not, you're not there because you're Abramovich is there and you're supporting Abramovich. Like you said, like mm-hmm. no one wears like a Chelsea Jersey with Abramovich on the back. Yeah. You know, it's not called the Abramovich football club. He's the owner of the team. He's done a lot for the team. His tenure now is being, he's being forced out because of what is happening and what he's also been responsible for personally on his own, you know, his own standpoint, his own, um, you know, his own doing, I guess. Mm-hmm. The fans can't control that. All the fans can do is put on their jersey, wear their scarves every Saturday and Sunday, and just support the club. My solution to this maybe is just offer up free tickets for this game and kind of mm-hmm. see what's going to happen next. Maybe do like, not like a sweepstakes thing, but do like uh, like submit your name for like a draw and 
you get notified, you get your tickets, go to away match, like go do that for free. Mm-hmm. Um, because like again, Chelsea does have some money back in their you know in their back pocket that they could front the front yeah. these tickets because ticket sales obviously are one thing, but it's not the determining determining factor in profit for the club. Yeah, like it's it's a, such a small percentage, right? So I mean, at least they could do for this away match again, two thousand to five thousand tickets, whatever it is, give them away for free. Let the fans go. Still, when it comes to home matches, I don't know what's going to happen there coming up. Yeah. Um, their next home game is against uh, Brentford on April 2nd. Shout out Melina's birthday. Um, Here we go. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. Uh, they have a couple of weeks still to decide like what's what the game plan is for that. But again, it's it's a really tough situation to be in. Um, like, you know, me living here in Canada, I still get to get, you know, still able to watch the game on Saturday and Sunday whenever they're on TV. It's not going to really affect my viewing of the match. Clearly, having fans there is a way better experience. We know from COVID mm-hmm. and watching those you know, simulated sound, you know, audio bullshit, whatever that was. Yeah, that was kind of frustrating. But at the end of the day, it's still, you know, twenty-two guys on the pitch, one ball, one referee. Like that's that's all I really care about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 what I got to say about the the current situation. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely uh, tough, right? Um, just hoping it comes to some re- resolution. I think, you know, I, I might have read somewhere where they're just going to run the team and uh, just cover all the operating expenses because obviously Chelsea employs a lot of people. I mean, if you right. just shut that all down, like you have tons of people out of a job, which isn't going to help anyone. Um, maybe they can do it where they still sell tickets and all that revenue goes to just the operating expenses have uh, the EPL or the UK just manage the, uh, well, the EPL can't, but the UK government uh, freeze the finances and all the assets. Just go at like a no profit situation. Yeah. Because you have the entire Chelsea staff that are relying on Chelsea to put food on their table. So good point. Yeah. Um, And Chelsea's finally like putting out results too. I'm I'm like, I, of course this happens when they're playing good, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it was a class. It was the Iorio, you know, derby on Sunday with Chelsea and uh, Newcastle. Yeah, and it almost it almost finished like pretty much as a stalemate. I, I wouldn't have been too opposed either way if it would have came as a draw. But you know, Kai Havertz scoring the 89th minute gave Chelsea the one 0 victory over Newcastle. Um, it was a game that Chelsea probably deserved to win. They they outplayed Newcastle like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they just couldn't put the ball away. I mean, it was just a lot of. Um, similar similar comparison to the Man City match against Crystal Palace. It was just a very, you know, Chelsea-heavy match. Um, like, I mean, look at the stat lines again. They're just basically doubled up on everything um, compared to Newcastle. But they just couldn't find that way to score. Couldn't find that way, you know, off the bar, off the post. Um, like a tap-in from the cock who was, like, just steered wide of the net. Mm-hmm. And then it finally resulted from a beautiful pass from Jorginho to Kai Havertz, one of the passes of the season, I think. And, um, you know, he was able to score in the 89th minute, give Chelsea a nice big win, kind of keeps their, I can't say title hopes alive because, I mean, that's kind of far-fetched now, but it keeps them, you know, up there in the top three uh, in the European battle. Again, we're talking about Arsenal catching up to them a little bit, possibly. Again, Chelsea has to do the Liverpool mindset. Just stay the course, just keep doing what you can do. Mm-hmm. And they still have Champions League coming up. They still have the FA Cup in the quarterfinals. Um, trying to get to the next level of 
Champions League into that quarterfinal session as well. So, I mean, they saw a lot to play for. It's not like their season's kind of, you know, over with them not winning the title this year. They still have, you know, a domestic trophy and um, the European trophy to play for too. So, mm-hmm. still a lot of motivation for them to do well. Uh, their remaining matches this season, their toughest bout is would be against West Ham and United um, in April and in May. Everything else for them on paper looks pretty much like they should get victories from. So, I mean, they, I don't want to say that they're locked up for Champions League for next year, but it's going to be like a catastrophic um, drop-off for them yeah. to not stay in Europe. And I think from Tuchel's standpoint, his motivation or his mindset has to be completely on Champions League right now because obviously they won that, you know, the hell was it called? Champions Cup, Club World Cup. They won that. I mean, that's a little pat on the back kind of thing, like good job yeah. a little bit. But that doesn't really hold any value, um, like to the international like level of like looking at like like a like a championship, like a like, you know mm-hmm. silverware. It's not like a really coveted thing. So again, I think their big look at or their big motivation is for Champions League, and again, their match against Lille tomorrow. Chelsea's up two nil aggregate. This we played in France, so a little tougher test for them. But uh, hopefully, they can prevail there and just keep the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't lost a Premier League match since January 15th, the game against Man City. So they've mixed in some draws here and there, some games that they probably should have won. But, I mean, they're, they're staying the course. They're, they're doing pretty good. Yeah. As much yeah. as I criticize them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The way I, mean, I talk about them, it's like they could be like in 15th place right now. <laughs> just never satisfied. Yeah. No, they just got to stay the course, and I, I do agree. I think as long as nothing really catastrophic happens, I think they'll be playing Champions League next year, which mm-hmm. I think deservedly so. You know, just with the with the performances they have, I think they deserve to be there. But also, I don't think they really deserve to win the title with just how good City, Liverpool have been playing, yeah, and the run of form they've had. But I think I think they're just right where they they should be, really, and they just got to keep the keep the momentum going and stay in Champions League. Yep. Somebody's got to come third, you know? And, yeah. yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we said a three-horse race is kind of where it was looking, and then Chelsea just went, whew, like, down the toilet a little bit mm-hmm. midway through the season, kind of around the um, the Christmas break, which a lot of teams did as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I can't be too mad at the season. I don't think, like, I mean, with Tuchel coming back, and with them bringing Lukaku in, everyone's like eyes kind of lit up. Like, oh my god, like Chelsea's the front runner. I'm sure I probably said that at our first podcast episode this year. Go back and check the tape. But um, as the season played out, it was very inconsistent from Chelsea, mm-hmm. and injuries played a factor. I don't want to use that as an excuse, but you know, losing their starting left back, right back, you know, Werner and Lukaku both being out at the same time, it kind of hurt them a little bit, and. Just Lukaku's, I mean, his his lack of performance, I think, has been like the biggest factor this year. Yeah. Um, because we were touting him for I know a twenty five goal season. And yeah. he has five right now in in March. So Yeah. That that obviously kind of set back our expectations a little bit. Um but I mean all we can hope for is that they do better next year. I don't know if Lukaku's gonna come back. There's like crazy talks of him joining Inter again. Um, leaving like cutting his contract short and leaving at the end of this season, going back to Italy. So we'll yeah. see how that plays out. I mean, we'll see how their assets get unfrozen or something that they can see if they can yeah. buy somebody else instead. 
it's going to be, uh, I mean, uh, that's the thing. again, 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 we say it every single episode. This is why the EPL is, is the best league in the world because there's just so much going on. There's mm-hmm. so much to talk about. Even in an off week when there's no games being played, there's news. There's yeah. something happening. There's like transfer talks. There's, you know, players getting injured. There's just everything's happening in England at one time. Yeah. And um, that's why we love to tune in. Yeah, and that's, that's why we watch. I mean, people, when I say I watch the EPL more than anything, they always ask why I don't watch Syria. And it's just the EPL is so exciting. I love the football they play. I watch the Serie A. I just don't think the teams are on a, on the same level uh, at all. I mean, you have you have the top teams like Inter and and whatnot, um, and Juve on a on a good season, but yeah. um, yeah, it's just it's just not the same. I mean, it's it's so fast paced in England, and it's just really exciting to watch. And like you said, there's always stuff going on, and I think especially too. I mean, I'm sure there's unfortunately like shady stuff that happens in england the whole match fixing the syria just really turned me off to it yeah. didn't didn't like that at all so it, it's really hard to watch a season or watch a league when when you know that stuff has gone on in the past could be going on now just i don't want to watch a a soccer game where refs are being paid so yeah i mean i bad. feel like i feel like there's something going on in almost every league but the Italian league, like there's definitely something going on all the <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Did you watch a documentary on about that? The Juventus one on Netflix? No, I haven't. I've, I'm all in on Draft to Survive right now. Oh, have you finished it? No, I'm four, four episodes in. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's not really linear. They cover, you know, they cover yes. a race and then do something else and then come back to another race with a different team. Um, all I've really seen so far is uh, just the scoop on with uh, Mercedes or um, McLaren and Ferrari dueling it out. Uh, Lando Norris is doing super well. Daniel Ricardo yeah. struggling, but I just watched his win in Monza. Hell yeah. So that was, that, that was, was really was cool good. to watch. And I'm a, I'm a fan of his, uh, obviously don't know him too much, but just what, from what I've seen in interviews, he seems really competitive, but also pretty uh, chill. Big uh, personality. Yeah. And what I like, cause I've seen other drivers do this where, they get really like snippy and short with uh with their team and uh the guys on their team, which I don't really like. I mean, Daniel Ricardo can show that frustration, but it's more so about himself. Uh, I never yeah. really, from what I've seen in all the interviews and whatnot, I've never seen him complain about uh like his team. Um, <laughs> save save the one thing when he was on Red Bull and him and Max were just literally butting heads about everything. Yeah. It's funny too how they try and like the teams try and force the drivers to get along and they want to yeah. they want to paint this picture like they're all best friends, but they're all competitors. It's not like it's yeah. not like in, in soccer where like everyone on Chelsea is the same teammate, they're all playing together for one goal. In in Formula One, you're on a team with a teammate, but if it goes toe to toe at the end of the season, like you're gonna take him out of the race and like possibly yeah. win. Like, yeah, he, it's kind of a weird it's a weird concept. Well, yeah, and they laid out pretty well in the show where they say your teammates your biggest rival. Like yeah. you're both driving the same car. You have to outperform him because you're if you're the better driver, you have to show that because there's everything is the same except you in the car versus your the other driver in the car. Yep. So um, it just comes down to like your own personal performance, right? Yeah. And then I uh I saw the 
where Red Bull was pulling ahead. And then there was the crash with Hamilton and Max where Max went like flying into the wall. Oh yeah. That was at um, Silverstone. Yeah. So uh, he was out of the race. So, and then uh, Hamilton won. So they got maximum points. So they cut the lead to like eight points right now. Uh, And then I saw the other crash where Max literally went on top of Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. That was scary. Uh, and that's when Ricardo won. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, don't know who's going to win the constructors. Don't know who's going to win the world championship. I don't know anything about the that's massive so controversy that happens. But it's so exciting. Like, it's, I'm just watching the show. It's all condensed. It's going to close it's just, out. It's so funny how, like, you don't watch this. Like, you don't know what happened until you watch the show. You and Joe yeah. in particular. Like, Crazy. If anyone wants to try it, skip. Like, if anyone's kind of into F one, but also into the show, skip the season. Don't watch any news. Just watch the show. It's it's exhilarating, man. Not to know what's what's happening and who's gonna win during the show. Oh. Yeah, major major props to Netflix for you know taking this show like under under their control. I mean, taking the the sports are under their control like four years ago. This is the fourth season mm-hmm. of Drive to Survive, and for Netflix to do this when they did, perfect timing. Yeah, like this is just before COVID hit. A couple years before COVID, they you know grasped an entirely new market of people in North America with this show. It got you know me more involved in it. Um, do a little plug here if you guys want to hear me talk about the Formula One season uh, with my cousin, my cousin Liam, on the Brazen F One podcast, B R Z N F One. You guys can follow us on YouTube there. You can hit us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, we're all over the place. Um, subscribe to that channel too and we talk about you know the formula one we've had three episodes so far and it'll be a sunday recap basically of every single race when it goes on and we'll post it on youtube and on our um, podcast platforms but yeah it kind of like the show drive survive got liam into the show like huge when it came mm. out like i think it was i think he was a couple seasons behind um like well, after the show already came out, so he binged like two seasons in a row, yeah, just for last season. I'm oh, sorry, three, okay. no, three. He binged all three seasons just before last season, so he was okay. like totally caught up with what happened three years ago, four years ago, and then he got really into it. And yeah, yeah it's taken a whole you know new fan of people and yeah. um, in the sport. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I had zero interest. Like I would, I would see it on Sunday mornings. Uh, my dad and my uncle would watch it, and it was always, you know, they wanted Schumacher to win, just crushing with Ferrari. I would, I would see the race, and I honestly, I didn't care. I was, I didn't like it. I was even like turned off by. It. I'm like, oh, this is oh, just really boring. I love to survive comes out, and it just, I really got the full picture and dynamic of what F1 is all about. Uh, and it's awesome. Yeah, props to Netflix for sure, big time. Yeah. Um, are we done for here? That's not you. All done. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, for watching this episode on YouTube. It'll be posted there at the Footy Fans YouTube channel. It'll also be up for podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at Footy underscore Fans, um, Instagram same account Footy Fans Podcast. Uh, we'll be posting pictures, updates breaking news, all that stuff. So you guys can find us all there on social. Uh, As always, we will tune in next week after all the week's action. See everyone. Ciao.